In a world where three pudgy middle school history teachers discuss random aspects of history. Well, that's... that's all I got. No, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah, I, Wait, who you calling pudgy? Yeah, man, that's kind of rude. No, I'm rude. It's the History Bros Podcast. <laughs> It's time for the History Bros. I am Jason Rude, joined by Brian Geldmacher and Jason Hatfield. How you doing? Well, hello. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't know what I think about that, but uh, I don't know. Too much Halloween candy for you, or then again, yeah, I don't know. Are you the type that goes out and buys Halloween candy and then doesn't give it out, just eats it? I'm that guy. We, uh, several weeks ago, we pre-bought some things that were at the, like the pharmacy store, uh, that were on sale. We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll hold on to this. It's gone. It was gone. It was gone within like a couple of, uh, like a week. So we had to go out and buy more. So, well, I think because we're struggling with supply chain issues, right? Right. My, my wife, the peanuts aren't able to go to the Reese's factory. My wife bought. Uh, Let's go with that. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. my my wife bought uh, a whole bag of, of candy two weeks before Halloween, and as soon as she got out, I said, "What's that for?" She's like, "Halloween." I said, "There's no way it makes it to the Halloween," <laughs> and I, I think we were halfway through it within a week. And uh, uh, yeah, needless to say, there was another trip to the store to get more Halloween candy, which is really kind of stupid great. because we take our kids trick or treating. We don't give out trick or treating, so sure. yeah, but. Uh, and- well, I think it's also important since uh, we're at this point, since we're you know recording this uh, for a future podcast. Yes, um, I think we should take the time to uh, discuss that really big event that took place from the time that we recorded to the time this is airing. Okay, we can do that. And that was a great discussion. Let's get back on track for what we're going to okay. do here. Uh, <laughs> we're just putting a placeholder in there for whatever national tragedy is going to be taking place in that time. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, oh speaking of food, notice I didn't bring up any houses that got knocked down or didn't get knocked down this time. Um, mm. Good, because you were on a, like a roll there. For I, I know. I mean, the only house that's getting knocked down is the pride of, never mind. Um, what? I don't know, but uh, we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Norman Borlaug today, and there are those that who have heard of him, know him and know him fairly well, and know the impact that he has had on our country, or not on on the world, not in the country, on the world, and there's a lot and probably many more people who have never heard of this guy and have no idea what this gentleman did not just to impact the world, but to literally save billions, not millions with an M, billions with a B, billions mm. of lives. Mm. I, I, I got to admit, uh, before watching the video, I did not know who this person was. So, And Hatfield still doesn't, so that's okay. Um, yeah, he's the guy that um, was um, um, played a Frankenstein. Right. No. Right. No. <laughs> Norman Borlaug is a gentleman who was born in Saudi, Iowa. Saudi, Iowa. S-A-U-D-E. 
to his parents, obviously, in 1914. It's just outside. Whoa, whoa, of... wait, wait. He was born to his parents? Yeah, crazy, isn't it? That's nuts. <laughs> Norman Borlaug was a uh, – so Saudi is located halfway between Cresco, Iowa, and New Hampton, Iowa. Now, for those that are keeping track, that's where I live. Like, this is Which his, is no his one, birthplace. That's fine. Go ahead. What's that? <laughs> Nobody's keeping which track. Is no one, but go ahead. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I'm not the one throwing shade on that one, so. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's the, yeah. Anyway, uh, he is a, a great-grandchild of Norwegian immigrants um, who came to the United States. Obviously started in Dane County, Wisconsin, moved farther west into Iowa. And uh, Saudi is all of 10, 11 miles from my house. Uh, so this guy grew, was born and grew up just down, literally just down the road from me. Um, and so what did he do? Well, he, first off, he was a wrestler. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a second. What does that have to do with anything? He learned a lot from wrestling as far as perseverance, hard work, and giving 105%. And uh, that is what literally one of his, his quotes. And actually his, his high school coach talked about that. He went on to the University of Minnesota uh, and got a degree uh, in agriculture, um, as well as wrestled up there. He made the Big Ten semifinals, uh, Big Ten tournament semifinals, a couple times, mm. um, and was well known for wrestling. And then he turned his attentions to microbiology. And what he did was essentially to create different strains of wheat. Now, not just in Minnesota, he would go on to. Uh, Texas A&M, where he did a lot of his work. In fact, that's where he's probably got the most memorialization as far as buildings named after him and whatnot. Um, but he would build a – or not built. He, he – uh, I'm going to say genetically engineered, and I don't mean like he literally went and cut open genes and spliced stuff together. I mean, what he did is he grew wheat, and, of course, you do it next to certain – other strains of wheat with certain traits, and eventually that will um, modify the strain of wheat that you're you're producing, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Kind of like when, uh, you know, if people have a baby, you know, the, the baby looks a little bit like one parent and a little bit like the other. Same thing sure. happens with, 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 with plants. Um, and through, the, through a process of doing this, basically what he was able to do was create strains of wheat that could grow in dry climates that could uh, withstand what we call rusting uh, of the plant that could grow in extremely hot uh, or extremely cold or extremely short growing seasons or long growing seasons. Um, he was able to create uh, strains of wheat uh, that, that could withstand these things. And then when that wheat, those seeds were taken to places uh, where food was difficult to come by, they were able to grow this this wheat in those areas, and it literally fed billions of people. Hmm. Um, he was able to actually uh, able to produce a, a strain of wheat that could have a double harvest season, meaning that you could grow two crops of wheat in the same season. Now think about how how big that would be in terms of creating a uh, a food source. Uh, in an area that is really struggling to have food. So, I mean, um, nobody knows Especially about this. Especially if you have a gluten allergy. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. But, I mean, you think about it. Um, 
No, I think some of the the engineering he did was to strengthen the stalk so that it could that yield, yeah, heavier um, amounts. So yeah, I can't. I, I have heard of this guy. I couldn't think of uh, his name, but yeah. Um, yep. That, so that there are some. I mean, it, it did help. Uh, you know, avert a lot of uh, famine in areas. It did revolutionize a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And this guy is going to go on to win a Nobel Peace Prize in 1970. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like, oh, cool, he did something cool and it's completely obscure. He won a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, He is now in Statuary Hall as one of the two statues that the state of Iowa is allowed to have in the U.S. Capitol. He is in the Capitol building in Statuary Hall. Um, He he died, uh, I think he died on his, just right around his 95th birthday uh, in, yes, 2009, um, 95 years old, so 95 and a half, basically, um, in Dallas. Uh, but he is still very well known in my area, uh, and the Norman Borlaug Foundation has done a wonderful job of preserving the farm. And, of course, I took my son and my daughter up to the farm, and uh, we, we did a little poking around and looking, and it actually got my son really inspired. Um to the point where for his 4-H project, he wants to examine and, and basically track how Norman Borlaug did what he did uh, to create this wheat uh, the cool. way it is. So it, it nice. yeah. And then on top of that, they at the farm every fall they have a day called Inspire Day where they invite local schools to come out and they have all kinds of lessons, not just about Norman, but about you know land use and uh, preservation um, feeding people, uh, a, a myriad of different topics. Um, it's really, really well done. It's really, really cool what they've done uh, to keep his his um, his legacy intact and and uh, moving forward. Um, you know, it just it, it's impressive. Oh, that's awesome. That's not again again. That's not a story I'd ever heard from before. So that's a it's a it's a fascinating look into. Uh, a world that I had little concept of. So, mm. yeah, and, and like I said, a lot of people don't know about him, and it's just uh, uh, it, it's it's kind of sad, uh, a little frustrating. I won't lie, uh, but um, it, uh, it it's great to see that it's starting to come out a little bit. And of course, we at the History Bros, in our dozens upon dozens of listeners, are now going to know about Norman Borlaug and what he has accomplished. Uh, I wish I had even more detail. If I was smart, I would have gotten a hold of a guy by the name of uh, Tom Spindler. He's the director of the Norman Borlaug Foundation, and uh, he could have told us all about Norman uh, even more. But uh, like I said, I think this gives us a pretty good good, uh, insight into who this guy was and why it's worth knowing him. In fact, Penn & Teller even did a, 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 I can't say the name of their show because it's Penn & Teller uh, bullcrap, but that's not what sure. it really is. And it was a, uh, he was referred to as the greatest human being that ever lived in that episode. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. He's one of the people that is, is mentioned as the greatest people who ever lived. Um, you know, he uh, uh, has had an article po- per, uh, published about him that said, The Man Who Fed the World. Uh, Nobel Peace well, Prize I, laureate. I, Go ahead. I, no, I think it's. I mean, I, 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 
I think it's an important thing to kind of to touch upon also because you know GMOs do get and sometimes I guess rightfully so yeah um, a lot of bad rap um, for modifying food and stuff like that for various reasons like you know you can't you know whatever food that you grow any new food like that seeds off of that that belongs to the industry rather than to you that kind of stuff but um, this does show that you know in some ways it has actually been beneficial. Sure. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's the dark side, so to speak, in the in the demonization of GMO, and then there's, I'm not going to say the reality of it, because the reality is there is some pretty dark stuff that's going on with GMO. That said, um, if you look at feeding, le- le- legitimately, literally feeding the world um, without GMO, we probably are dealing with famine. Uh, the original corn, the original maize that was and, and i mean right now i'm in the we're in the middle of harvest season well, by now we're in the tail end of har- harvest season here in iowa but mm-hmm. if you look at the original corn the the cobs on that corn were much smaller and much shorter and so you'd maybe have the width of your well, a little bit bigger than the width of your your uh, thumb for a, a circumference and it'd only be maybe five to six inches long as far as uh, a, co- a cob of corn, maize. You look at today's corn, and the cobs are, in some cases, about the size of your wrist, maybe a little bit smaller, and most of them average 12 to 16 inches long. And, and so that's that much more seed, that much more grain that's coming off of, of that each individual cob and each individual plant. Uh, when we start talking about the yield you know, it used to be pretty darn good yield if you could pull, if you had 150 uh, bushels per acre coming off your field, that was pretty darn good. Now, if you're less than 200, it's not a great year. Hmm. And, and so we think, well, that's, you know, greed, 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 money, money, money. Well, there is money involved there, but let's face it, there's not a lot of corn that's necessarily going to waste. We're using that corn, whether it be... Uh, for food products, whether it be feed for animals, whether it be biofuels, whatever it is, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we often don't think about that because let's face it, uh, Iowa and Nebraska are flyover country and who cares about all that stuff down there. But the fact of the matter is corn's getting used for a lot of stuff, especially sure. in our, uh, in, in our society here in the United States. I agree. No, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm in flyover country, so I, I would agree with you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, yes, I, I catch crap for being from Iowa. Uh, you guys have called me corn, and for good reason. Um, but it, it really is, and, and I have a love-hate relationship with it because there's, well, there's a lot of things. There, there's a lot of reasons for that. But <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, when they say corn grows Iowa, it is true. There's a lot of truth to that. Uh, we are... You know, here in this country, or in this state, we're feeding a lot of people, uh, and GMO. Yes, GMO is part of that, and uh, love it or hate it, most people hate it, uh, but a lot of people don't realize what it is. Again, people think it's these guys in lab coats and you know weird-looking goggles going ah ha 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 as they splice <laughs> g- genes together. That's not necessarily what GMO is. Maybe it is a little bit, but that's not what it it's all about. I mean, there's a lot of test plots that that I drive by GMO looks a lot like a cornfield, you know, <laughs> right. 
I mean, when you start, you know, when you start looking at that, that they're they're trying to create seeds that are going to resist things that will destroy crops. And that, that's the thing is if you, you know, the, the pandemic has been bad and it's not been good, obviously. I mean, obviously it's not been good. Right. But when you look at the biggest threats to the United States and if you go to the think tanks that like try to plan out how do we prepare for these types of things, eliminating the food source would be the biggest, the absolute biggest tragedy uh, uh, crisis that we could deal with. Uh, so GMO, you know, it, it, it creates crops that are resistant to drought, resistant to uh, somewhat to wind, um, resistant to animals, resistant to fungus, uh, resistant to a lot of different things so that we can have these, these crops growing, uh, not just because the farmer's got to make money to stay alive too, but so that we have a crop to feed people. Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, GMO, again, and I'm not a huge... I'm not. I'm not in any council that that pushes GMO, but it does have its place. It does have its place. So I'm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you, Norman yeah. Borlaug. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Norman Borlaug. And I mean, that's the thing is that Norman Borlaug is the embodiment of GMO done right and done for sure. good purpose. You know, um, I won't get into you know Monsanto is the the one that always seems to be the the evil. Devil, so to speak, when GMO gets brought up, uh, I won't get into that. I don't know enough about what they're doing to try to either defend or discredit them. Um, but I do know that when Norman Borlaug did it, he did it with for honorable honorable reasons and uh, big time success. You know, congressional gold medal, uh, Nobel Prize. Uh, you don't get those by doing something evil. You get those by doing something to help people, and he did it. Well said. Yes. Appreciate absolutely. that. So what do you want to know about the farm? Um, I think uh, it, it's, uh, I was, I've done a little bit of research. Uh, tell me about how much encompasses the, uh, the farm. And I, I know that you had mentioned in the video that the boy to home is, or the birthplace is right around the corner too. Not right yeah. around the corner, right around the corner too. How many acres we are we talking? Yeah, so I, I would have to do some research to find out how many acres. Um, okay, I mean, just, I, is I, it... we're talking probably in total. If I were to guess, probably between two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty. Um, okay, it, you know, if we're going off the standard one hundred and sixty acre plot that you would get as uh, part of a a uh, you know a homestead, then that would be three hundred twenty. Uh, there is a creek that runs through it, so it's not all tillable. You know, sure. And so you've got in the section, so when, when you look at, at Iowa and how it gets divvied up, you've got big squares, and you, you break them down into townships and in, into section, counties, townships, sections. And so a section is generally a one-mile by one-mile plot of land. And so in flat country with very few obstacles, that's where you see all the gravel roads that, that line them. Um, and if you look, look down from the, from the air, uh, or from an airplane, you're going to see all these square, squared off roads. Those are sections. And so they're in the northeast corner of that section. Um, and uh, it's, it's basically the, the northeast corner is the farm he grew up on. And then the next farm to the south on the east side of that section 
is the Boyhood Farm. Uh, and they, okay. they do, I believe they adjoin on the, uh, well, be north and south of each other. Okay. So um, not huge, but not, not tiny necessarily. Um, there's a lot of land. You know, they may have used more uh, of the yard for fields and, and gardens than is currently uh, being used for that type of purpose. Um, there is a garden there uh, still. I think it shows up in the video. Um, but uh, it's, you know, and the, the boyhood home is preserved, uh, but they don't do nearly as much there. There's much more signage, and you can tell that they want to kind of steer you towards the, the, the farm that he grew up on. That's where most of the signage is explaining oh, sure. uh, who he is and, and telling what he did. Um, and then they also have the school that he went to. I don't think, I don't know if it's in the original location, I think they moved it. It's uh, the Orleans School Number Eight. I think they moved it. I'd have to double check on that, but I think they moved it to the property. And you can act, they'll actually do a, a one room schoolhouse lesson inside uh, inside the school. Nice. So that's kind of neat. Kind of neat. Now, do you have one room schools where you guys are from? Not anymore. We've we've graduated past that, but uh, we did. Yes. Okay. How about you, Hatfield? Do they have any of those where you're where you're from? Um, what's a school? Oh yes. Oh, that's right. You're in North Carolina. I forgot about that. Right. <laughs> Sorry, not Orleans. New Oregon, number eight. Uh, <laughs> right. No. Um. Yeah. They used to. Yeah. Of course. I mean. Oh, guess what? I I, I found it here. 106 acres the family owned. There you go. So I was wrong. That's all right. Um. And uh, the school, yeah, built in 1865, is owned by the Heritage Foundation. Um, and I think, like I said, I don't know if that's the original location where it is now or not. But doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anyway, I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to talk about this guy because he, is, he truly is a great man. And uh, what he's done for the world is to be noted. And uh, you guys gave me a chance to, to talk about an Iowan without making fun of me much right <laughs> so well i mean it's it's he's he's contributed amazing things and, and people should again like you know we talked about this is a, uh, an instance of a gmo being done right you know? yeah all right well with that we'll wrap things up for this episode of the history bros i am jason rude joined by brian gelmacher and jason hatfield have a good one everybody see ya peace out deuces